Amen. All right. Today, we are going to meditate on God's command to be holy. You guys are, don't seem too excited. Let's do that again. <laughs> we are going to meditate on God's righteous command to be holy. All right. Which, by and large, also then obligates the speaker, me, to speak on the grace of God. The title of this message is The Family Code of Conduct and God's Amazing Grace. And it's taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. We're just going to pick, off from, pick up from where we left off last week. As is our custom at Blessed Life Fellowship, please stand to honor God in the reading of His Word. 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each one's work impartially, conduct yourselves in reverent fear during your stay as foreigners. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life you inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. He was known before the foundation of the world, but he was revealed in the last time for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God and all God's people say. Amen. What a good word this morning. Hallelujah. Well, because <clears throat> I guess I'm in the going the wrong direction. <laughs> How about that one? Okay. Um, because believers are brought into a parent-child relationship with God through the process of adoption, the first family trait identified by Peter is childlike obedience. Childlike obedience. Jesus told his disciples that anyone who does not receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child will never enter it. Childlike obedience. You know, the Bible and even our own experience teach us that a disobedient child creates family dysfunction. And it's not just between the parents and that child, but for everyone else in the family. And oftentimes, for those who come in contact with the family. It also creates an injustice and an imbalance for the other kids in that family. So biblically and socially, obedience is foundational for a healthy parent-child relationship with God the Father. We oftentimes demonstrate a childlike wonderment about heaven 
and a childlike awe over what Jesus has done for us, how could we not then respond to him in simple childlike obedience? Do you still stand in awe, childlike awe of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Do you still retain that? Are you then walking today in simple childlike obedience to God? It's up for each of us to know the answer. Amen. Charles Spurgeon connects the ability to live in childlike obedience with a new birth mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So what I'd like to do, let's go back to our main text, 1 Peter. Notice the words here in 1 Peter um, chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14 again. It's part of our master text today. As obedient children do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Your Bible may say desires. It may say lusts or passions. It's all the same. We're talking about our own want and desire, which can create a serious conflict with the will of God. Especially for those that aren't acting in childlike obedience. So those things go hand in hand. Charles Spurgeon says, and he connects it to the new birth, which is our power line to heaven. From the moment of the new and heavenly birth, the man begins to live for Christ. And a child who lives for Christ lives according to the Spirit. So, Galatians 5 and 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 tells us, The acts of the flesh are obvious, followed by a dirty laundry list of the stupid things we used to do. Aren't you glad you're in Christ today? Yeah, I'm glad that stuff's not on Facebook or whatever they do these days. Yeah. Whew. But praise the Lord, while we were still sinners of the grossest sort, Christ died for us. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our power source. We are under the Spirit and not under law. The family code of conduct is not a long list of don'ts. It's a short list of do's. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And live a victorious life in all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the, in the green circle on the right of the slide. We can walk in power of love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the family code of conduct. Bless God. You know, when the world order is full of hate, 
We are the only ones who can demonstrate the real love of God through Jesus Christ. When the media stirs up unrest and discontent and worry, who is left on earth to demonstrate a peace that surpasses all human understanding? And when the media fans the flame of fury and discontent, we are the ones with the fire extinguishers. Praise the Lord and Holy Spirit for setting us free to be obedient. He set us free to be obedient. Praise His name. Have you meditated on your own new birth as the enablement to obey God? You know, our new birth enables us to obey God on every level, logically, spiritually, and practically. But what about faithfully? That is on us and directly requires the exercising of our faith. Hence the word, faithfully. Amen? Amen. Well, it got real quiet on that one. All right. I, I was quiet with you. I've been quiet on that one for several hours uh, before I got up here to, to speak it. So it's a working on me like it works on you. That's the way God works. He works on everybody the same way. All right, so uh, we are in a parent-child relationship with God, but the redeemed are also in a new covenant relationship with God mediated through the blood of Jesus Christ. Back to our master text again. First um, Peter chapter 1, verse 2 talks about the sprinkling by His blood and the sanctification by the Holy Spirit. That sanctification is a process that's begun in us. It's not yet finished. But it's a perfecting process. And it's already started. Holy Spirit lives in you. He works from the inside to change you from the inside. We don't, the stuff on the outside just bugs us and, 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 and disturbs us, but from the inside we have peace. So he's rebuilding us from the inside. He's able to sanctify us only because we were sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son work as a functional family, all working together. Verse 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that you inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. The redeemed are in a new covenant relationship with God mediated in the blood of Jesus. And that new covenant contract or that New Testament framework, we are told, was all laid out before the foundation of the world. God had thought it all the way through. He's God. He knew we needed it. He laid out that framework, and Jesus played out that framework. Hallelujah. Praise His holy name. And that covenant was ratified by the saving work of Jesus, and He signed it. He signed the contract 
in his own blood. Now we are drawn to that contract by God's grace and enabled to countersign it with faith. And even that was given to us by God. Being made right with God through faith in Jesus and the many blessings that come with it are new covenant benefits. Being made right with God through faith in Jesus and the many blessings that come with it are new covenant benefits. Jesus' commands and the commands of his apostles are new covenant obligations. New covenant obligations. And so now we are subject to covenant terms which come with these benefits and obligations. And for the sake of those who are listening on the recording, I'm showing a slide. And on the left, I have a column that says benefits. And on the right, there's a column that says obligations. And those benefits, just to mention a few, adoption into God's family, I'll take it. Sanctification, I want it. New birth, praise God, I have it. A future resurrection, it's mine. Hallelujah. And redeemed from empty living. It feels good, doesn't it? Amen. Amen. I, I'm taking it. I, I've got it all. It's mine. Praise you, Lord. Obligations. Set your hope completely on the grace to be revealed. Be sober-minded. Prepare your minds for action. Be holy. Love one another deeply. Now, do you know what all these benefits and obligations have in common? They all come from only the first letter of Peter in the first chapter. That's it. All of that comes from the first letter of Peter in the first chapter. Your Bible is full of covenant, new covenant benefits and obligations. And I am so happy to assure you that the benefits far, far outweigh the obligations. Amen. Amen. There is a transitional word when you're reading your Bible that can help you identify where these obligations and benefits exist in these letters. The transitional word, therefore, sometimes, but not always, but sometimes. So what we understand about the letters of Peter and Paul is oftentimes they're written in a sort of a contract type of framework. And a common style of the ancient contract was to first provide a list of benefits provided by the benefactor, in this case, God the Father. And then that would be followed by a list of obligations or expectations for maintaining the covenant relationship. For maintaining the covenant relationship. 
Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. So it is often delineated with the word therefore, or sometimes so, or wherefore, depending on which translation you have. But in this case, in this case, I believe that the Passion Translation captures the notion best for this reason. For this reason. You accept the benefits of this covenant, so, for this reason, set yourself apart to live under its obligations. I would like to add a reference on this point to 1 John chapter 5, and I would ask you, please, go there with me. I'd like you to see this verse, although I'm sure you've read it several times already. Um, but let's look at it together as it pertains here to the subject matter today. 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 1. And while we read, I would like for you to keep an eye on the family language. Because this is the family code of conduct that we're talking about. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also, everyone also loves those born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Because everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Praise God this morning. His commands, our expectations, are not burdensome. Because we, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we're overcomers. We're achievers. So, this is what it means to be holy. This is what it means to be holy. The New Testament Greek word, agios, and its Old Testament Hebrew counterpart, kados, they mean essentially the same thing. Dedicated to the service of God, set apart, consecrated to the code of conduct. I'm not going to get into the hot topic of hairstyles and fashion that's often associated with holiness movements, other than to say that the Bible does teach modesty among God's people. Does it not? It does. But holiness is more concerned with the motives behind your modesty and the heart beneath the hairstyle. Amen. 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 And we have our beloved Holy Spirit dwelling within us. He'll instruct us on how we present ourselves in public. If you walk with the Spirit, you'll talk with the Spirit. And you'll dress with the Spirit. And you'll present yourself with the Spirit. The holiness part is that you've dedicated yourself and set yourself apart to being obedient to the Spirit. 
He will teach you everything that you need to know if you're obedient to Him. Yes. The Apostle John uh, wrote uh, about this extensively, and we will look at that here in just a bit. But for right now, these New Testament words are very consistent and that's the heart of what it means to be holy, to be dedicated to the work of God, to be set apart for God, and to be entered into this process of consecration or perfection only empowered by God. To be holy, then, in 1 John chapter 2, um, verse 15 through 17, to be holy is to be set apart to the service of God, we hear a lot lately about world order. So it's also about being separated to God. But if we separate ourselves to God, that means that we decouple ourselves or separate ourselves from the world order. We separate ourselves from the world order. And notice I'm not saying the world. I'm standing in it. I'm not going to suddenly float. And God's, I mean, hey, when the, when the trumpet sounds, it's rapture time. I hope all this stuff just gets left here and I'm gone. But right now, my feet are firmly planted where you see me standing. So I'm separating myself from the world order around me to the greatest extent possible, to the greatest extent possible. The Apostle John wrote about that world order. So we hear a lot today about the new world order. But a close study of God's world says, or God's word rather, reveals an old world order that wasn't much better and in many ways was even worse than this new flavor that we have today. Christians are to be separated from both. The Apostle John in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world. Now, as I listen every time, we, this all got started with Peter said that we need to get divorced from our old former passions, right? Our old former lusts, our old former desires. Listen how many times the Apostle John connects the world order with our own desire. I'll get there. First John chapter um, 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. Hallelujah. Praise God on that one. So on that point, Peter David 
reminds us that desire goes after anything that satisfies the drive. Desire goes after anything that satisfies the drive. It is indeed these proximate desires that the Christian should have abandoned at conversion. Now it gets quiet, but you know, I, I can tell you there's going to be an upside here. Just, this is the word of God that we're talking about. God never leaves us depressed. All right, so these are some sobering thoughts, but we are sober-minded. All right. So, in 2 Corinthians 6.14 through 7.1, Paul warns that overly close binds with unbelievers could and most likely will affect our walk with the Lord. And he does so using the old covenant language of being unequally yoked from the book of Deuteronomy. Um... The Lord's brother, James. He boldly says in James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God, adding that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us jealously longs for our full devotion. Again, reminding us of covenantal language, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. From the book of Exodus. So in both the Old and New Testament, God's people are commanded to be holy because God is holy. We are commanded to be holy because God is holy, and we're even instructed to be, for God's children, are instructed to be imitators of their Father. So what happens... So what happens when we stumble? As surely we do. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for people that haven't stumbled as children of God. We all know the answer. So what is the recourse when we do fall short? Praise God the day God's grace fills the gap where we fall short. So, that's when we get down on our bent knee or jump and shout for joy, whichever is your style, or maybe a little bit of both, for God's amazing grace. Because God's grace fills the gap when we fall short. It is not our performance track that's going to save us. For it is by grace that we are saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not in works, so that no one can boast. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and give God a hand clap and a shout. Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Oh, man, I'm so relieved it's not on me. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise your name. You know, actually... It's even an act of grace that God tells us to be holy in the first place. For, one, we should be thankful that He speaks to us. That's an act of grace. Second, He calls Himself our Father. That's an act of grace. And three, 
By telling us to be holy, He communicates His desire for us to be like our daddy and to share a family resemblance. Now, not in how so much how we act, but in how we live and how we dedicate ourselves, separating ourselves to do the will of God. And that is a lot of grace. But there's more. James says that God gives us more grace. He adds that God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. He's a God of more grace. And if I want more grace, then I walk more humbly before God. If we want it. Which means that when we fall short, we can make things right by humbly turning to the Lord in genuine repentance. Let's go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that would be the yellow ribbon in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In this passage, Paul addresses the outcome of a letter of correction that he had previously sent to this Corinthian congregation. And he says, beginning in verse 9, And now I rejoice not because you were made sorrowful, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you felt the sorrow that God had intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Consider what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what in indignation, what alarm, what longing, what zeal, and what vindication. Vindication. In every way, you proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Innocent means not guilty. Not guilty. That's because our Savior, Jesus, the one who died for us, is alive and well. And as a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus always lives for this, to intercede for us. Praise God today. Yeah, go. let's go ahead. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. You know, if I was given my choice of attorney between Jesus or that other guy or gal, I'm going to pick Jesus every time. Yes, because when I humbly walk before Him, I always get the same verdict. Not guilty. Hey, praise His holy name. God's grace and those nail-scarred hands of Jesus fill the gap where we fall short. Praise His name. Well, we're getting close here. It was God who has called us 
And uh, it was God whose grace spanned the gap between our sin and His holiness through the precious blood of Jesus. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So your salvation begins with God, and it also finds its completion with God. Your salvation begins with God, and it finds its completion with God. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.6. He said, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Who brings it to completion? Not me, not you, but Abba, our Father. He will see us all the way through. All the way through. This same confidence is echoed by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He was known, that's Jesus, He was known before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for our sake. Through Him, you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. So your faith and hope are in God. You know, I have high hopes for myself as I am sure that all of you do for yourselves. But I dare not place my hope in myself because time after time, I let myself down. But God is true to His Word. And He... He has never let me down. All our hope, our only hope, is in God. And the same goes for our faith. God grants us a measure of faith to begin with. He gives us a measure of faith that's sufficient to come to Him through the cross of Jesus. And so, with grateful and sincere hearts, we must strive to obey God's commands. But it's a process. We are all in the process of being perfected, but not yet arrived. That's why Peter reminds us that our faith is not in our performance. Our faith, like our hope, is squarely and fully in God. And whenever and wherever we fall short, God says to us, as He said to Paul in his own weakness, My grace is sufficient for you. Praise the Lord this morning. You know, God's commands are not burdensome at all. They're a privilege. The fact that we're able to uh, come to God is an enablement by God. His Holy Spirit convicted us of our unbelief and that measure of faith that He gave us we responded and said, come on in. We're not normal people anymore, what the world calls normal. We're a bit abnormal. 
Some of us maybe more so than others. <laughs> but we got this in common. We have a power source. We have a rich, eternal power source. Hallelujah. God gives me a command. He has already seen to it that I've been given everything that it takes to follow that command. And I'm a child. And sometimes I go and I stumble. And when I stumble, I, I pick myself up by, by going to God and repenting and humbling myself. And He straightens me up and dusts me off. And I keep going. And I get better. You know, every time I fall, I get better the next time. It's a long, lifelong process, but we're being perfected from glory to glory all along the way. All because of God's amazing grace. I urge you today, if you haven't received God, whether you're here in this building or on hearing me on a recording, if you're within the sound of my voice, then you can do this at home. Don't wait another day. I don't like what I see around me in this world. I wouldn't put it off. Don't wait another day. Today's an opportunity for you. Make the most of that opportunity while you have it.